We've been told this story that if you check all the boxes, if you do all these great things, then you will be happy. But why do so many of us still feel unfulfilled? Welcome to Wealth and Liberty, where we give you the education, tools, and solutions to go from feeling unrewarded to becoming autonomous with three simple concepts to guide us. Identity, self-development, and financial control. All right, welcome back to Wealth and Liberty. And today we're going to play a show from a conversation I had with uh, some of my team members, uh, Scott and Trevor, who you'll get to know about all things life insurance from an active duty military perspective, kind of what we talked about. So we start that conversation in today's show. Hope you enjoy. All right, everybody. Hey, we're back uh, with the U.S. Vet Wealth Lunch and Learn, you know, fun financial show. I don't know. What do we want to call this, guys? I guess we'll, we'll figure that out once we get some feedback, once we actually have some viewers. Um, but... Anyways, I'm here with uh, Trevor Maxwell and Scott Cochran, uh, two of the awesome members of the Vet Wealth team. And what we want to start doing is just answering all the questions we get from so many active duty military, military spouses and veterans about what is all this stuff around money? What do we do? What are all these benefits? What's these insurances? What do I do with my life after the military? You know, that's what we're all about at Vet Wealth. And uh, we're ready to, to, to bring it onto YouTube and onto the podcast and stuff. So excited to be here. Uh, what do we want to talk about today first, guys? Or I don't know, actually first, why don't you two introduce yourselves a little bit? Hey everybody, my name's Scott Cochran. I'm a brand ambassador here for US Vet Wealth. Uh, like Scott Tucker, I'm a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point uh, and an Army veteran. Uh, and I, since leaving the military, I've got a career in corporate America, and I'm now very passionate about helping veterans uh, make the most of their financial well-being. Right. And you were at Amazon, right, Scott? I spent a good deal of time at Amazon. Awesome company, awesome people. I learned a lot there. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, lot of military uh, go to Amazon and companies like Amazon these days, right? Having a lot of success there. Why, yeah. why is Amazon a good fit? Well, if you're a veteran and you're considering transitioning out, uh, I would encourage you to check out Amazon. Uh, number one, they uh, have an entire uh, arm of the military uh, recruiting wing that they use to, to help find, but it is uh, very similar to um, unit leadership. You've got uh, a whole group of folks that have a, a giant mission and you got to get them moving in the right direction. So it serves the veteran skill set very well. Very cool. Okay, cool. Well, so glad to have you here, Scott. And uh, Trevor, former, he's the, he's the Navy guy. We got to have, have a Navy guy on the team. Uh, Trevor, thanks for being with us. Hey, guys. Uh, Trevor Maxwell. I'm an advisor and educator here with U.S. Vet Wealth. A uh, little bit about me. I did 20 years uh, Navy EOD, worked with a lot of special operations guys pretty much my entire career. Um, Really what, what drove me here was, you know, I, I went and saw a financial planner as I was getting ready to retire and he kind of opened my eyes to some stuff. And I really looked at, you know, when I looked back on my career and I was like, man, I missed out on a ton of different opportunities. Um, so that's kind of like my passion now. I like to go out and teach this stuff to all the other folks that are transitioning out and especially the young guys so they don't make the same mistakes that I did. Mm -hmm. um, I came over here. I worked at another firm for a couple of years. Great guys. Um, I learned a lot there, 
but you know, it was kind of drawn to us vet wealth because of the way that they do business here, the way that their, their mission values kind of align with mine. And so, you know, I, I've known Scott for a couple of years and I called him up one day and said, Hey, I want to come work with you. And he was like, yeah, all right. Sounds good. Hurry up. I need help. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're, we're growing too fast. I mean, really. And, and I think it's because of, of the, the types of education we're doing. And, and since we're coming at this from a completely different angle, I mean, still, it's always about, you know, financial planning, investments, life insurance, wealth management, whatever you want to call it. We're not creating new widgets out there. You'd have to create a new, whole new monetary system to do that. But um, we, we do see we are in a modern age and there's a new way to look at this. And I think we just want to use this show to go back to the basics and put our 2020 real world COVID-19 iPhones in everybody's hands, like things are different in the vast majority of all education and products and services around you know, these topics are all based on methodologies and systems and technologies and, and, and financial vehicles that were designed before all this stuff happened. I mean, we're really doing stuff very similar in the, from the military community uh, when it comes to financial management and, and personal finance. Most of that stuff is based on eight, 1980s and 1990s uh, philosophies and methodology. So um, what, what should we, where should we start today? What do you guys think? Maybe, maybe thinking about that kind of young coming into the military or been in those first few years and what is, what is life insurance really for that, for that group? Does that sound good? Yeah. Cool. Cool. So Scott, let me ask you, what, what do you remember when you at West Point or getting out? I mean, I mean, uh, graduating, getting into the service. What do you remember about just life insurance as a, I don't know if you got married right away after school or not, but um, you know, the assumption is most people are single, you know, when they're, whether officer or enlisted when they're first getting in, um, you know, enlisted are usually in the 18, 19, 20 year old range, officer 23, 24, 25 year old range typically. What did life insurance mean for you back then? Do you remember? <laughs> I do vaguely remember. I can tell you what it meant then and, and what it means now, but uh, coming out, uh, single guy, healthy as a horse, uh, no kids, nothing but me. Um, I figured I would uh, follow what everyone else did and just sign up for SGLI because it helped me move through the line quicker as I in processed and got ready for deployment. So uh, that's what I did. Uh, and that's what it meant to me. Um, I, I, it wasn't until I got married and had kids and had a lot of people depending on me that I decided to, uh, to look into what the other options were. And what I found is that the earlier you start, the better. So if I could go back uh, yeah. 20 some years and tell my younger self, the earlier you start, the better, I would have started even earlier. Right. And, and it's funny you say like literally going through the line because it's, it's part of the in-processing sex state. Like, sign up for your sign up for your SGLI. Did, did you think you had to do it? You know, think looking back, it, it did seem like it was the default. Like I mm. sign up for this because I'm a soldier. Uh, and so that's what I did. Yeah, I always used to say, well, I did join the army, I'm probably gonna get killed, right? And so therefore, <laughs> might as well just, you know, give this extra money to my parents. What's $29 a month? Not really a big deal. It's since been dropped to 25. That's funny. I wonder why. Life, because people are living longer, costs of life insurance go down. Every time there's a new census, um, usually they, they drop prices. So I think that's happened. But, you know, either way, um, yeah, I, I kind of felt like I was in the same boat, just 
just thought you're supposed to do it or it was just part of the thing and, and didn't realize it was an option. Um, I even was in the reserves as a financial advisor who should have known better, was still doing SGLI. I had stopped going in to my reserve duty. They were still charging me. So I got a bill for 700 bucks a year later and they dinged my credit because since I wasn't going in, they weren't taking it out of my LES um, for my reserve stuff. So just fascinating how much control when it was completely an optional thing, but just the mindset is I have to do it. And you know what the stat is on the number of people that opt into SGLI? No, what's that? Trevor, do you know? I know it's in the high 90s. 94.5. Yeah. When, and Trevor, I'll let you tell your, your perspective and story on it a bit. When SGLI is simply managed by Prudential, which is just a third party government contractor who, so they get the contract on every 94.5% of active military reserves um, deals. I don't know what the government's cut of that is, but how many active duty military reservists actually died during their period of stuff? Quite frankly, I think the percentage is less than, than an average American. We're typically healthier, usually we're carrying guns around, so we're pretty safe. And unless we're going into a dangerous situation, and, and even in that case, the majority of us aren't really in danger. I mean, we, we know that downrange if you're on base, but you know, it, it's, it's not a bad thing to have. That said, you could have gone directly to Prudential as a 20, early 20 something, probably up until age 30 and still gotten it cheaper. And so that's odd. Like, why are we paying the same price as a young private that a colonel's paying? That seems very, nobody talks about it. Nobody thinks like, well, I mean, everyone always says it's not fair. Officers should pay more and stuff. It's true. Get paid a lot more. Why is it on this one thing? It's the exact same price. And when specifically you could get it cheaper on the free market. Um, but there's a rule out there somewhere where financial professionals aren't allowed to disparage SGLI and, and VGLI and stuff like that. And so it's like, we're not disparaging it. It's, it's good for people who can't qualify for something on the private market, of course. At least we guarantee everybody has access to something. And you know, usually if you are about to go down range, you're not gonna be able to qualify, right? So if you're in a position where you're uh, a pilot, special forces, or you're on orders to go overseas, SGLI, you know, until, the, the, until you're finished with that duty, you might not be able to get private insurance. So thank God for SGLI in, in that regard, absolutely. But I don't know, Trevor, I'll let you chime in a little bit and maybe we'll get to some uh, listener questions. Scott, I think you had a, a few from our audience, right? I do, yeah, I'd like okay, to hear, cool. hear from Trevor first. Sure, sure, cool. Yeah, no, it's I, kind of like what you were saying, Scott. It's, it's something that the government has to give you. Um, it's a requirement for them, but you know, make no mistake about it. That stuff, like you said, is provided by a private insurer and those guys aren't in the business of, of not making money. So they, they do the math. They know like, Hey, the odds are in our favor that, you know, we're going to continue to make money off of this. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think I did the math once in just, you know, if there's roughly 2 million active duty, 94.5%, 25 bucks a month, you know, do the math. I think it was something like $50 million a month. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and the frustration is that that's taxpayer dollars who's intended to go into the service member's hand as a thank you for serving our country. And then they spend it right back off and send it to Prudential. Yeah, but it's only $25 a month per person. So it seems like chump change. Add it up, man. 
they're making a killing. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where it's like as with most things, you know, it's it's government provided. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. going to be as efficient as what you can get in the private sector. But you know, it, a lot of people say, well, at least it's something. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I agree with that. Honestly, it's it's for those who just aren't going to be. I mean, if you think about people, a lot of people in the military, unfortunately, are coming from. Uh, situations where maybe they didn't have the best education and stuff and probably never even heard of life insurance where they get in the military. It's like, and unfortunately those are the guys that are usually, you know, uh, uh, the door kickers, right? So they're much higher risk. Uh, And that situation coming from probably lower income, you know, to be able to have that $400,000 going to their family, um, if something does happen, you know, I, I think that is a great thing because they're probably not going to be in a situation where they're, where they're thinking about finances. A lot of people, unfortunately, in the military think that they don't qualify to work with a financial professional because they don't make enough money yet, right? And, and that's unfortunate because then it just leaves everybody underneath whatever the local financial counselor, you know, does during their mandatory training every six months. Yeah, that, that's that's a big one for me. So I've always kind of been all about that. You know, like I said before, the government's going to do the bare minimum of what's required of them by Congress, right? So yeah. a lot of the stuff that's put in place by them is really meant to kind of, it's more of like a cover our ass thing than it is like, let's do, I'm not saying that what they're doing is bad for the service member. They're still doing something for them, but you know, there's, there's always something else out there. I mean, you're talking to a guy who was a bomb tech in the, the height of activity during the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Yeah. Right. So I was out there, I've done some of the most dangerous missions you can do as an EOD tech. And, you know, I, I didn't expect to live to be 35. So I was like, ah, whatever. But you know, there I was, I found myself at the age of 35 with a wife and two kids. And I thought, well, shit, I kind of missed out on that last 16 years of, of planning and setting myself up so that when I do retire, I'm going to be in a lot better position than I am right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like I hear you both saying, this is a, a basic insurance uh, for the folks in the military. But one of the things that I like that, that you've said before, Scott, is that you want to help the 1% of the nation that the people that serve our nation become the 1% that influence it. And so just the most basic that's just given to them is may not be the best option for them. Uh, and so it's important that we, we let people know what other options are out there for them. No, I, that's a great point because the bottom line is, you know, what I'm talking about the 1% who influence it, it's the wealthy. Why isn't our goal to be wealthy? There's plenty of resources out there that talk about how to become a, a military millionaire. It's like, you know, if you start, obviously not many people do it, but the bottom line is the, the, the high income earners in our country, the, the, the higher net worth people. And, and quite frankly, you know, once you're in the $200,000 a year mark, so think about military pension plus second job. It happens to, and not to mention dual income family and stuff. It's it, very often people find themselves in a high income situation or a high net worth situation, or, you know, they're planning for it. It's like, let's have the intention to plan for that as opposed to just assume it's all going to be, you know, uh, you know, feeling, feeling stingy our whole lives. Like, no, I'm going to plan for, for the wealth. Guess what? The wealthy don't do the basic cheap, you know, options. Um, and a lot of times they'll do some term insurance, but for a very specific reason, not this, oh, I might get hit by a bus and die and, and, and let's make sure we got our, our mortgage covered. And actually, that's, that's, that's a good question to start. 
how do you know how much insurance to get? On the next episode of Wealth and Liberty. What's what's the typical approach for for uh, getting insurance, Trevor? What, what, what do you what, what have you seen? I can tell you what I've I've seen in my experience. A lot of them will say, "Well, there's no such thing as too much insurance." Thanks for listening to Wealth and Liberty and choosing to learn how to live an autonomous life. Please leave us a review on iTunes and share the show with a friend who you know needs to hear this message. Remember to subscribe at wealthandliberty.us and connect with me, Scott R. Tucker, on LinkedIn. Thank you.